0: inside the cylinder episode 98 you can follow us on the detroit bad boys podcast stream and all new episodes on detroitbadboys.com this is david fernandez uh writer over at dbb um and i'm joined as always by my co-host matt way what's up matt
1: What's up, David? Um, just uh, enjoying this inauguration day, inauguration night. We are we're recording uh, January twentieth, and uh, just watched an interesting loss from the the Pistons to the Atlanta Hawks. It was it was eventful.
0: This is our first game recap, too, because I feel like this game, this season specifically, has been more about overarching themes. You know, it's not necessarily a season where you're tracking each game on the schedule for importance because there's no necessary, I guess, uh, end zone insight. There's not a a goal of making the playoffs. So this is our first recap, which is a little strange that now that it's, I don't know, 14 games into the season. Um, But uh, I think we picked a good one to, to start off with at least.
1: Yeah, absolutely. There's, there's plenty to talk about. Um, you know, the Pistons started out strong. It was kind of a, the th- first three quarters looked kind of the opposite of the the first game against the Hawks, um, where the Pistons kind of worked their way back into it, but they both ended up with uh Hawks wins, which is good for the tank, I suppose. Um, not so good for staying up and, um, investing in a Pistons game with some other good, uh, NBA basketball on.
0: Yeah, so I guess for you, what was one of the main takeaways from that game just in totality after watching it?
1: Sure. So, I guess my number 1 takeaway was just how dominant the Atlanta Big Men were against the Pistons. Um they, you know, the the lead was 14 I think that was the highest it got. Um, it was 14 on multiple occasions, and it really would have been probably 24 if it weren't for Clint Capella and John Collins, who just really destroyed the the Pistons front court. Um, Mason Plumlee was pretty invisible. We all know Blake Griffin's defensive limitations; those are well documented at this point. Um, but I don't think that we've seen a team really take advantage of that as well as the Hawks were able to throughout the game. Um, Trey Young kind of took over at the end, but but really I, I think that the MVPs go to, to John Collins and Clint Capella. Um, Capella was had 27 points on 26 rebounds, 12 of which were offensive, five blocks. Um, John Collins had 31 and 11 rebounds. And they they both they both did so very efficiently. They the Pistons really just had no answer for them tonight, and um, I have some thoughts on on how the game ended, um, especially how the fourth fourth quarter kind of um, went. But I, I think the the big takeaway was just that the the Pistons front court really really let them down tonight.
0: Yeah, the John Collins uh, Clint Capella both murdered Detroit on the offensive boards uh definitely as you mentioned Mason Plumlee's worst game in Detroit so far and and that's pretty by, by a wide margin he had three dunks blocked maybe four um it just wasn't a pretty sight and I know you had mentioned a little bit ab- about this on your latest piece um on the closeout uh about uh Isaiah Stewart's defense, he didn't necessarily make an impact either. Pretty much anything that Detroit threw at the bigs, other than a couple of minutes by Jaleel Okafor, surprisingly, in the first half, was ineffective. So, uh, yeah, that was definitely the the biggest takeaway uh, from a, at least the Hawks' perspective in why Detroit lost this game. One thing that I wanted to note was... Uh, Jeremy Grant, we have we haven't talked about him a ton actually on this show uh, recently. We we talk about him in every episode sparingly, but but not uh, specifically. Um, and he just had an awesome, uh, just a monster game tonight. Thirty two points, five assists, uh, six boards, shot twelve of twenty two from the field. And at one point during this game, it was right when he was around like the nineteen twenty point mark. Uh, it kind of had dawned on me that he's becoming that type of player to where you're surprised with how productive they are in the box score. He's so efficient with how he's been playing so far and shooting so far this season that it creeps up on you. It's kind of like how I've always viewed a lot of LeBron James games. Now, obviously, I'm not saying that they're the same player by any means. um, But with LeBron James, lots of times you'll be like, this guy, he had 28 points tonight. How the hell did he have that? Um, and, and Jeremy Grant is becoming one of those players to where he just punches in bunches and, and all of a sudden he'll have 17 points in the first half. So that's just uh to me, that's a sign of a really, really good player. Um, when it's not super flashy and it's not something that, that sort of stand out, it's just consistent production and efficient production. And it's just been great to see out of Jeremy Grant. He's been doing it for essentially the entire season. So um, that's just one of the things that hit my mind today while watching that game.
1: Yeah. And, you know, he was really critical in the third quarter. The, the Hawks kind of made their first push in the third quarter, got it down to maybe four, um, four point lead. And Derek Rose got a bucket and then Jeremy Grant just kind of took over. Um, and and I I think your point about it his, his big games being kind of quiet almost are is well taken because, you know, and I, I think the big reason is that he just, he really works within the offense so well. Like he doesn't just isolate, you know, when it's not necessary, like he isolates when he's got a mismatch. Um, you know, they run some, some action for him off screens. He takes threes when they're open, you know, he, he doesn't, force the action a ton. He might force a few drives, but, you know, they're still pretty effective in his little jerky, herky, jerky way. Um, and he finds ways to score. Um, so it's, it's kind of, it's, it's a great building block. I think um, he's, he's not, you know, your number one, you know, just give him the ball and he's going to create for himself and others, and every possession we have certainly seen him in in the last few games facilitate a lot more. And that's been great. Um, But he just, he's just that guy who's going to do whatever you want and he's going to do it well. And he's done all of this while, you know, being the focal point of the offense in, in a different way than, than is traditional, but a focal point nonetheless. Um, So he, he deserves all the credit in the world for, for what he's done this year. And, Tonight was, frankly, one of his his best games uh, among nothing but really good games this year.
0: Definitely, and I've been pleasantly surprised with him in isolation, with the amount of different types of play types, stagger screens, curl routes that they've been able to run for uh, Jeremy Grant. And he's just been effective in pretty much every level of the floor. And one thing that I've noticed about him, too, is he's crazy long and crazy springy. Like he is so good at close at at scoring in the paint and scoring uh, contested shots and just getting up the elevator really quickly and just throwing down jams when it's just like man this guy is a freak like, it, it's it's really really something uh, I don't know it, it's just kind of mind blowing to see how how good he has been so far this year when I 100 did not expect anything. Like this, uh, coming into the season, um, but uh, yeah, I mean, kudos to Jeremy. These are the games where, even though it's it's a tanking type of season, in my heart of hearts, I feel bad. You know, I feel bad for Jeremy Grant. I feel bad. Blake Griffin had a pretty good game, all things considered. Um, you know, I, those are the these are the, the the moments where it's like, ah, man, this is tough. This is tough. Um, did you have any other ta- takeaways, Matt, from the game tonight?
1: Um, you know, I, I the the one thing I was really thinking about, too, watching, you know, Sadiq played – Sadiq Bay, excuse me, played eight minutes, didn't really do much. Um, he's struggled the last couple games. You mentioned Isaiah Stewart struggled um, on both ends, really. But especially offensively, he just – you know, if, if he doesn't get the ball in the, the right spot at this point, He's he's just not gonna be very effective. Um we saw Svee, who you know had really struggled has struggled with the shot throughout the year. And um, he came out tonight and played really well, I thought. He only I, I'm looking at the box score, and I can't believe he only had six points and two rebounds and a steal. That that's those are all his his, his statistics in twelve minutes, but you know, he he really could have had probably three or four assists. I would say he was really making plays um, off the dribble, which he's done more recently, and I think has just improved his play and and opened up his three point shot a little to um, just just get him some some extra room. Um, Seku only played five minutes, so it you know it continues to be a really long process for the young guys. They're going to hit these these walls. Um, especially the rookies. Um, and you, you just gotta I think keep cycling them in and out. I don't I don't really know why Seiko only played five minutes, considering how um how how badly the 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 Pistons needed some extra length to combat Capella and Collins. Um that that confused me a little bit. he made a really nice play in the middle of the zone which would be an interesting place to see him um, operate a little more often and maybe a way to get him some more minutes when teams are going to zone and they're going to zone, you know, quite frequently with Detroit because they don't handle it particularly well. Um, so I, I was just kind of noting how the, how the young guys that were playing and um, you know, it's, Things change pretty fast with the rookies. You know, Sadiq Bey had been playing so great, and he's struggled recently. And those things are going to happen. You know, it's a long game with them. It's a long game with the entire team. And I thought tonight's game was a pretty good reminder of
0: that. Uh, yeah, I Yeah, I can't say it much better than you just did. Um, you mentioned it. Seku, five minutes. Uh, Not great If for all of those out there monitoring his minutes. I think over the last three games, he had 11 minutes in the the first game against the Heat. Um, Sorry, I'm just trying to think about the schedule right now. Um, And then he had uh, 16 minutes in their next game. And yeah, I mean, it's just been... I don't necessarily know how you find rhythm when when you get five minutes, and... Especially, you mentioned it. He had four rebounds in five minutes of play, and he's pretty much the perfect body size that you would want to throw at a guy like a John Collins or a Clint Capella. He matches up well with them, and we've talked about it before on this podcast that he has shown an ability to handle bigs in the post. He's done well. I remember in the preseason, he did really well against Julius Randle. There's been moments where he's held his own against even Giannis Antetokounmpo, Um, so you, you do hope that there's avenues for him to get a little bit more playing time. Um, Josh Jackson's another guy where you, I'm waiting for him to sort of really turn it around here. He was playing so well before the ankle injury. He had a pretty solid game in their last outing, um, prior to the Atlanta Hawks game, uh, 12 points. I want to say he was something like four or five from the floor or something like that, or four or six from the floor, but he hasn't been able to really put it together, um, for an entire game. And, uh, uh, he, he's mostly struggled since coming back from injury. So that's another person that I'm keeping my eye on, uh, just because, uh, he, he's one of those players that, uh, you should be excited about. He's the perfect, uh, sort of figure for what Detroit's trying to do moving forward here. So, but yeah, that's all I got, I guess, for the Atlanta Hawks game.
1: Yeah, that's, I think that covers it pretty well.
0: So should we move on? Let's uh, see what we have going on here. Um, oh, yeah. I guess Pistons news. Uh, Killian Hayes is officially rehabbing his hip. He will be re-evaluated in eight weeks. Uh, seems like good-ish news. I know nothing. But uh, your thoughts were correct, Matt, that since we hadn't heard any news, they're probably going to at least try the rehab uh, Avenue first. What are your thoughts after seeing that officially come through from the Pistons today?
1: Um, my main thought is that, um, you know, I'm not a doctor. Um, and so I, 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 I don't know. Um, I'm, I trust that, you know, they're probably doing the right thing. I like the extended timeline. We heard four to six weeks for a long time. It's already been two weeks, I think. Um, So we're talking about a 10 week rehab, really. Um, so I, and I I do know, I wanted to note that, um, Omari Sankofa who writes for, I believe for the free press, correct?
0: Yeah. Free press. Um,
1: He, he had a, um, a piece and a, a tweet today that, um, where he, he talked to a surgeon who said it was really, it's really better to avoid surgery if you can, um, which, which makes makes sense to me um, just from a, a basic understanding of how these things work. Um, if, you know, unless you're talking about an ankle or, you know, uh, some, some sort of ligament, I think if you can rehab and avoid surgery where, where things can happen, things can go, back, go wrong in, the, in that type of setting. Um, if he can safely rehab, I'd, I'd rather have him do that um, to, you know, we're, we're talking, I think 10 weeks, um, puts us at about or eight weeks, you know, puts us at about the beginning of the second half of the season. The season is scheduled to run through, um, mid May, I think. So there's a potential for about five weeks. If, if he, if he looks good in 10 weeks, um, he's got about five weeks to potentially get, get back on the court, um, I think you're going to obviously take that slow. Um, but if if he can get to 100% at the end of the year and you can get him some more minutes, I, I don't know why you wouldn't, frankly. What, what are your thoughts about that?
0: Yeah, I, I was generally when I saw that they, and I was under the same impression that you were, um, that uh, the no news seemed like they were going to rehab it. Uh, i I was under the impression as well that you know if you don't need a surgery it's probably best to not have one um, if you can rehab it he did meet with two independent specialists it sounds like per uh, the report that was released today uh, so I'm assuming that they're going about this the right way uh, Detroit doesn't have the best track record in managing players with injuries just look at Reggie Jackson and Blake Griffin for instance uh, so there is definitely that sort of fear that remains inside of me but uh in general i am i agree you know if he's if he's quote unquote 100% uh then there's no reason not to play him it's always good to get a little bit more burn i just hope that detroit's being extra 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 cautious and not trying to get him in, back into uh, the lineup for the sake of getting playing time rather than, you know, just going about it the right way. And Hey, he happens to be ready. Let's have him play. I'm sure you agree with that too.
1: Yeah, absolutely. And, and I think it's, um, a, a good point about Blake Griffin, who they obviously rushed back to get him to participate in a sweep against the bucks a couple of years ago, which I think brings us to the, uh, the elephant in the room that we want to and I think need to address, which is Blake Griffin and his, his current status. Um, so we're gonna try something different. Um, if you've read Detroit Bad Boys in the past, we do a DBB on three um piece every once in a while. There's one scheduled to come out on Blake and um maybe tomorrow, um along with Should this podcast. Yeah,
0: yes. So hopefully we're not seven on toes too much here but uh, go ahead, Matt. Sorry.
1: Yeah. And I think we're going to, we're going to um, go about it in a little different way. Um, but, but it, it is certainly something that, that needs to be addressed. So um, let us know if you like this, uh, you know, we're, we're if, it, if it works, we'll probably try to make it kind of a regular part of the, the, um, the show where we do, we're going to call it a two on two, where we kind of pick a topic and ask two questions and, and see how that goes. So, you ready for our, our first question, Dave? I am ready. Okay, so so obviously, anyone who's watched the Pistons has seen that Blake Griffin just looks like a shell of his old self. Um, we we saw, you know, it was going over uh, along on Twitter um, about the Heat broadcaster who, who was talking um, some he, he he was he was dropping a lot of shade on Blake um, in the second game. Um, it's, it's really been sad to watch him um, because he just doesn't have the athleticism that he used to. So given given that, given his limitations, what do you see as Blake's op- optimal role going forward with this team?
0: Well, I, I, I see him still remaining in the starting lineup uh, for the rest of this season, for sure. Uh, I, I don't think that they're going to pull the plug on that anytime soon. Um, but uh, – With Blake, I would hope that this past game with the Atlanta Hawks seems to be one of the better blueprints that you can sort of lay out there for Blake Griffin. If you have a one-on-one situation, try to get some action going towards the basket um, in the post or in a spot-up situation um, or a square-up situation, excuse me, and then really try to find him in more favorable situations from three. Blake has been a good three-point shooter for the past few years. His numbers are down a tick this year. I think going into this game, he was shooting 31% from three. So definitely not where you'd expect him to be at, but I would like to see situations where he is put into some good situation. I don't know, just in favorable situations to, to, highlight some of that three-point shooting, whether that be in spot up, whether that be in sort of like a DHO two-man game, which we've seen him run really successfully with uh, Reggie Bullock in the past and Svee in the past and Wayne Ellington. So I think there are wrinkles of his game where you can highlight him more from an offensive standpoint. Uh, but uh, just in general, moving forward, I-, I highly doubt that we're going to see any type of shades of 2018-2019 Blake Griffin anytime soon. I think those days are long behind us, um, but uh, I still think that there are more creative ways where Detroit can utilize him and, and make him a more efficient offensive player, at least, just knowing that there's going to be some severe limitations on the defensive end.
1: Yeah, I, I think that's that's very fair. Um, I was looking at Blake's stats earlier, um, and just a few stats that I think are indicative of the athletic, athletic decline that we're talking about this year so far. Going, in, this, these are all pre-Hawks um, statistics. Um, he he was his three-point rate was sixty-one percent, which is by far the highest of his career. You mentioned he's only shooting thirty-one percent right now on those shots. He has a twenty-four percent free-throw rate. Which is by far the lowest of his career. Also, um, you know that's usually one of the better indicators of athleticism, and and that he's just not getting to the line um, because he just can't do the things that he used to. He's shooting, um, or only eighteen percent of his shots are coming from inside three feet this year, which is again a shockingly low number for Blake Griffin. His career average is actually thirty five percent. He has
0: what was that? What was that? What 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 are the percentage of his shots coming in from three feet?
1: Uh, eighteen percent of his shots, and his career average is thirty five percent.
0: Holy smokes! Um, so half.
1: Yeah, at, you know, obviously that's you know he had Chris Paul and he could you know dunk on anyone back in the day, but um to to see that kind of drop is significant. He has exactly zero dunks this year, um which is is really sad. Um,
0: I was going to and, say that. Was.
1: yeah and and according to best reference at least this and last year um obviously both small sample sizes but outside of his rookie year those are the only years in his entire career where his team has a negative rate net rating when he's on the floor and obviously again that's you know um informed by chris paul and deandre jordan and those teams but you know it's 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 been tough for blake and I've been thinking about it a lot. I think I'm going to have a piece that's going to drop soon for the Detroit Bad Boys um, on this. So, so check that out. But my my instincts, without having dug into it too much yet, is that you know I talked about how Jeremy Grant really works within the offense so well, and Blake I think does kind of the opposite. You know, we see a lot of these record scratch plays where he he gets an open look from three. And he just kind of throws a couple pump fakes in, slows down the offense, disrupts all the good work that was done prior to that. Um, he's done less of that recently, but we still saw it tonight. There was a play where Sphe made a, a really nice baseline drive, found him um, at the top of the, the the key, and he kind of just backed, I think it was John Cowens, down um, you know, 20 feet and put up a bad shot. Um, We've we've seen him more recently take more, I think, in rhythm threes, get the ball in the post a little more within the the, the rhythm of the offense instead of just you know, he we you see him so much do that where he, he he'll miss or he'll he'll take a couple of hump fakes in the perimeter, slowly work his way into the the towards the paint. Sometimes he'll get a double team, sometimes he won't, but it doesn't it just never seems to end very well. Um he needs to accept a role where he is going to just be kind of a, a cog in the offense. And I think we've seen a little that more, more recently and it's kind of coincided with a little better play. Um, some of it's come on more rust, so that's probably a factor too, but um, I, I just think he needs to quit freestyling so much. Um, he just doesn't have the, the athleticism and his, his body's just not going to hold up well enough to do that anymore.
0: I think you said it right there, and I think everyone knows what you're talking about when you just say the 20-foot back down. Like That is the record scratch moment. The I have it beyond the three or just inside of the three-point arc, and I am going to methodically stop this possession. And, And not only does it slow down any rhythm, it telegraphs really everything else that could happen next. You can send help in that situation, which lots of opposing teams do, then all of a sudden, Blake is double teamed and he's too close to the basket or close enough to the basket to um, cause some issues for him and cause some, um, I don't know, just some blocked vision, but also not close enough to actually get a shot up.
1: Yeah, I I think that's all very fair. Um, So our, our, our second question on Blake Griffin is, you know, there's always been this idea uh, I think, floated around Pistons Twitter and, and just the general thoughts among Pistons fans that, you know, the, the goal is going to be Blake is going to get it together. He's going to play a bunch this year. And you're, you're hope you can just trade his contract away for, for something. Like, you don't even need to get anything. You might even need to attach, you know, a second round pick or, or something um, and get some expiring contracts or get something of value back for him. Um, he has two years, $75 million left on this contract. That second year is a player option. What do you see as Blake Griffin's future? Um, both, I guess with the Pistons and in the league in general. So with the Pistons,
0: I see him most likely finishing out this contract. I don't think Detroit is going to uh, well, A, they're definitely not going to be able to move him, at least right now, for what it looks like um, to, to get any type of assets in return or even expiring contracts. So it looks like the Pistons are stuck with him either way. So I really do think that he's going to see out his contract. I also assume that he's going to opt in to that final year of his deal, um, just knowing that he's not going to see that type of money uh, ever again. Um, and from there, you know, I would guess that sometime next season, he'll probably, he might be relegated to the bench kind of depending on, uh, you know, who, if some of these youngsters start to, uh, take flight. Uh, and then from there, following his time in Detroit, I would hope to see him sign on to a contender and maybe you'll have some, you know, good moments in the playoffs or in the series or something like that. Uh, I, I'm hopeful that he'll have another sort of NBA life. Uh, I don't know, not necessarily Vince Carter per se, but but something where he's able to play for a team and, and produce in games that matter. Just knowing that these last couple of years in Detroit are not going to be meaningful games when it comes to postseason and all those types of implications. How about you, Matt? Yeah.
1: I I completely agree with with everything that you just said. Um, the the one thing I would add is that you know we we I talked about Blake kind of playing within the offense, finding a more natural role as just kind of a guy rather than the guy. And you know if he is going to go to a contender, he's going to have to show that he can do that. Um, so maybe there are times where you bring him off the bench and there's there's other times where you're you're going to start him and you're going to play him a little more but you're always going to play him in this different type of role and and I think it's beneficial for both Blake and the Pistons if he wants to get another contract with the you know it obviously it probably wouldn't be much of a contract but you know some some smaller 2-year deal with a contender he's going to have to show first that he, he can play, um, you know, within an offense instead of just kind of um, disrupting offenses, which he's, he's done way, way too often recently. So, um, you know, you're, you're not, it's, it's kind of like, you know, Russell Westbrook, you know, he's not going to sign with the Clippers or the Lakers or somebody like that. Um, they're, They're just not going to take that chance of disrupting their, their team when they, they play more of team-oriented basketball, so um, my hope is that that we see um, more of that, more team basketball from Blake. Not not that he isn't a good teammate, but but just more playing within um, himself and within the offense. And um, I, I think that that's in both his and the Pistons' best interests. And I think it could, you know, really be something that's valuable for Blake moving forward.
0: One of what's a role that I could see him sort of playing, not that they're the same player by any means, but they're both big and can shoot, uh, is uh, um, uh, oh my, Serge Ibaka. Just like a pure pick and pop type of situation. He's very decisive when he decides to shoot. He's a good shooter. Blake, as, as I said, has been a good shooter for the last few years from three. I, I could see him thriving in a role where he does that in spot minutes off the bench for a good team. Um, you know, you're not going to rely on him to produce a ton of your offense, but it's simple, short action that could put Blake in a positive situation. Um, so that, that's just a, one of the players. Where it's like, when I've been trying to think about this question, both from uh, when Brady had sent it out and then, you know, looking at it on the podcast is like, what player is out there that kind of reminds me of a Blake Griffin. And and Serge doesn't, but just knowing Blake's ability to shoot and, and seeing Serge on, on the floor, on the team, on the Clippers, and what he was doing for Toronto, it's just very quick type of stuff, um, t- quick action, and I really do think that Blake could be uh, utilized in a way um, Similarly, so I don't know. It's, I've been trying to think of player comps. Maybe I'll have some better ones next episode, but uh, it's been tough just because Blake's such a unique player,
1: yeah. So, the, the name that comes to mind, um, I think probably because he's he was a recent Piston. Because obviously, you're not going to get Serge's defense, and I know you're not saying that, um, but a, a guy who maybe plays even a little bit slower, and you would hope Blake would, would be a better version of him, though. Is Markeef Morris, you know, where you know Markeith did and does some some pick and popping, he gets to play in the post a little bit when he wants to move a little slower. Um, and he can at least contribute defensively. Um, you need to see more of that from Blake. Um, Markeef's not like some great defender, but he at least kind of you know provides some resistance, which we're not seeing a whole lot from Blake, so I could see. I could see that type of role. It would be a big step down, obviously. Um, but, you know, that might be what Blake's looking at in, in a year or two.
0: That's the hard part, is imagining him taking a step down. Because we haven't seen him take that sort of limited role by any means, both when he's played really, really well, and obviously he shouldn't have, and when he's played poorly, like we've seen recently. Um, so, yeah, that that's what makes this whole uh, – uh, just mental challenge, uh, even more difficult is to sort of envision what that next step might look like for Blake Griffin. But maybe you'll provide the keys uh, to that, uh, um, you know, lock when uh, you come up with your next article about uh, how to utilize Blake Griffin. Um, I hope so. <laughs> I believe in you. But uh, all right, let's move on to our final topic, and I think Blake Griffin. We talked about his trade value or lack thereof. Um, but it, it does appear that the Pistons might actually have a couple of trade candidates uh, as we approach the deadline. Um, both Wayne Ellington and Derrick Rose have played pretty well as of late. Um, so I, I guess, Matt, for you, if Detroit is to make a trade this year, any speculation on, on what that might look like or or any of these two players or any other players, I guess, on Detroit that you want to highlight that you think another team might be vying for their services, uh, you know, this season?
1: I think Wayne Ellington and, and Derek Rose are certainly the two that come to mind. Um, you know, I went and looked at some of the more recent trades for role player types uh, um, around the trade deadline. Um, and the, the general theme seems to be you're going to get a second round pick or something around there. For it, um, James Ennis got traded for a second round pick, I believe, last year. A couple years prior, Glenn Robinson III and Alec Burks got traded for three second round picks. Obviously, we, tr- um, the Pistons traded Reggie Bullock for a, sec- a second and SV. I, I tried to combine um, Sfee and second right there. Um, and then Alfred Payton, I think, the year before, um, also got traded for a second. I, I think that's. Probably around where Wayne Owenton and Derrick Rose's uh, value lies. Obviously, you're going to be trading them to a better team, so it's not going to be much of a, a second-round pick. But you know, it might be something that that you can trade for. Um, you could attach to a Blake Griffin deal um, if you can find a partner there. Um, so I, that's kind of where I'm at. I think Derrick Rose could probably get a little more than Wayne Owenton. You know, w- shooters are always. Popular come trade deadline, and while while a lot of people kind of question the Wayne Ellington signing, number one, he's played really well. He played great tonight until he, I don't know, the Pistons just stopped getting him the ball after he he airballed a a, a pretty open corner three. But I I I think those two, I I liked the Wayne Ellington tri- uh, signing in part because. You know he's a guy that's always going to be kind of popular come trade deadline. So you you can you can almost always if he's doing anything if he's shooting well you're going to be able to get some sort of value from from him um, for for a cheap deal especially.
0: Yeah, I agree. The uh, Wayne Ellington he's over his last five games going into this uh, game against the Hawks eight almost nine points per game and shooting fifty percent from three. Um, on over five attempts per game. And it was strange that they completely stopped going to him uh, after that air ball because he was ripping the net for the most part. A couple trade partners that came to mind for me were the Pelicans, Grizzlies, and Warriors. The one thing I like about Wayne Ellington on, on the Warriors specifically is when you watch the Warriors play, they are dying for guys that know what to do when they're coming off of screens. Um, especially three-point shooters. Lots of times, there's a lot of ball stopping. There's just there's just a lack of of, of a veteran know-how um, to be a shooter that that team is certainly missing. And I think Wayne Ellington would fit right in alongside, um, you know, Steph Curry, Draymond Green. Um, you know, work well within. I guess the the motion offense of old with the Warriors. They don't play necessarily the same. But uh, I could see them utilizing a a shooter like Wayne Ellington because they are going to be buying for the playoffs, I assume. Um, Derek Rose, over his last five games going into this game, 16 points, 4.5 assists, 49% from the floor, and 40% from three. Um, I could see not necessarily a contender, but I could see playoff teams looking for some scoring off the bench. The Warriors is another team that comes to mind. Um, the Magic, another team that comes to mind, they lost DJ Augustine in the offseason. and they lost Markel Fultz um, to the ACL. So those are just a couple trade partners. I don't necessarily know what I'd, I'd expect in return, but I agree it's probably nothing more than a second-round pick. Uh, and um, But I would almost prefer a, like a young developmental player, it, it, like the way that Detroit got Svi, um, you know, It'd be great if they could... Identify another, I don't know, talent that has yet to be given their opportunity, um, rather than just a second round pick, which we've seen Detroit sort of uh, move around willy nilly over the past uh, couple of years.
1: Yeah, that that uh, I think I think the Warriors are a great idea for for Wayne Ellington. They could certainly use them, especially off the bench. You know, they're kind of struggling to find a bench rotation. Damian Lee's been been good um pretty good but um like they're playing Kent Bazemore who's not the Kent Bazemore he was when he was in Atlanta um and they're they're just kind of looking for another wing and I think I think Wayne makes some some sense there um for Derek Rose I mean a couple I guess a couple teams come to mind I could see him being a fit in Indiana maybe um you know they could use him off the bench and they're a team who's you know, good but not great, and and maybe if he, you know, with a with an extra um, guard who can get to the rim off the bench, he he might be able to to help them out, and and maybe you can get a guy like Aaron Holiday back for him, who's who's struggling a lot in Indiana, um, but has I think the potential to to kind of be a a really good shooter, um, maybe as a sixth or seventh man, um, you know, Boston. I guess they have Peyton Pritchard, but you know, every time I watch Jeff, Jeff Teague, another former Hawk, um, they, it, it, it kind of scares me a little bit. Um, he's, it, it makes me sad too because I used to really like Jeff Teague, but and, and I still do, but he's just, um, he's he's well past his prime. So I could see that they they might just opt to give Peyton Pritchard some more minutes, but they could probably use another guard off the bench, I think too.
0: Yeah, definitely. And, and they could all use, you know, they could use a scoring punch as well. Um, but yeah, I, I don't have anything else. I think that sort of wraps it up for, for this episode. You got anything, Matt?
1: No, I think we covered a lot and it's uh it's a late night for us, for us both. So I think, uh, I think we'll probably cut it off there. All
0: right. Well, you'll see this on your podcast stream this uh, Thursday and yeah, uh, yeah, we will catch y'all next week. Make sure to follow Inside the Cylinder on Twitter at C Y L N D R. For Matt, I'm David. We'll catch you next week. Peace.